and welcome to another episode of the Audaciousness Podcast with me, Helen Strong. And me, Maribel Ortega. In this podcast, we showcase individuals who have set themselves bold and audacious goals and have worked to achieve them with the aim of inspiring others to also set themselves audacious goals and to create a positive movement in the world. We'd like to highlight the fact that even regular people like you and me can have audacious goals and that role models are in fact all around us. Each and every one of us can have an impact in some way. We're delighted to have you with us. So Helen, tell us about the guests we're going to hear from today. Yes, we're going to hear from a lady called Lynn Yap. And Lynn was recommended by a friend of mine, Vicky. So thanks very much, Vicky, for that, who learned about Lynn via their mutual publisher. They were both publishing a book at around mm -hmm. the same time. And um, actually, as an aside, Maribel, you know, I'm getting the feeling that we're going to be getting more and more book authors on our podcast <laughs> in the future. I mean, we, we've, we had one already back at the beginning with Naya. Mm -hmm. um, And it seems to me that book publishing suddenly doesn't seem like the scary thing maybe it used to be. I yeah. don't know. I mean, even we're thinking about it. So we'll uh, see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back back to Lynn. Uh, Lynn grew up in Malaysia and she moved to the UK on her own at the age of 19 to study law, which I think is a pretty audacious thing to do for starters. And it seems to me like she hasn't looked back. She's switched careers. She's lived in lots of different countries. And as I just mentioned, she's brought out a book this year. So I was really looking forward to interviewing Lynn and finding out what she's learned from all the audacious moves that she's made in her life so far. Mm, all right. So let's listen now to the interview with Lynn, who joined us from the UK. She's uh, based in New York, uh, but she had been traveling. So we spoke with her during her travels. She, she was still in, in the UK. And then we'll come back to discuss what uh, we thought about her interview. So here's Lynn and we hope you enjoy it. and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us on our podcast Audaciousness. It's lovely to have you with us here. I'd like to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and to bring us up to date on some of the audacious things that you've done in your life. Please go ahead. Thank you very much Helen and Maribel for having me on the show today. So my name is Len Yap. I'm the founder of Activate Network and also the author of The Altruistic Capitalist. Now, my background is quite different from um, where I am today. My first job out of uh, university was as a corporate lawyer. I studied at the University of Nottingham, got qualified in, in Malaysia and then practiced, went ahead and practiced law. I think the first step in my audacious journey was when I decided I would leave a career uh, as a lawyer and move into investment banking. I was working uh, with investment bankers um, on, on different corporate transactions when I was a lawyer. And I was curious about what they did about structuring and originating deals and transactions. And so I decided as someone who never studied accounting, corporate finance, and didn't know the difference between debits and credits, I thought I would jump right into the world of investment banking and finance, where people work 80 to 100 hours a week, 
Um, I didn't have a, a clue as to what it was, but I had the audaciousness and audacity to jump into this new career um, and to hustle my way into a job. So <laughs> I, I would say that is uh, probably the first, the first thing that I did on this um, journey of audacity and audaciousness. Perfect. And so how were you feeling um, at, the, at the point when you made the decision? Because obviously you'd studied law and you felt, I, I assume, quite comfortable in your lawyer position um, to go into a position that you felt less comfortable in. What was going through your mind at that point? I, oh, naturally, it was, um, it, it was quite scary uh, because, as you said, I, uh, I had been practicing for a couple of years. I was very comfortable with what I was doing. But I'm also someone who is not comfortable being comfortable. I, if I feel like I've been doing the same things or, or know something too well, I feel like that I'm not learning. And so that, that mm -hmm. got to the point where, well, I, I may not know everything about the law. I may not be the perfect lawyer, but I was getting to the point where I can see where my trajectory would be. And it wasn't, um, my, my learning path was not on the acceleration, uh, the same pace of exponential growth that I had when I first started. And so uh, I had spoken to a few people, I had spoken to a couple of partners at the law firm I was working, and they said, well, why not just go for it? If this is something that you're really curious about uh, and, and really wanted to learn, just go ahead and, and, and try it and see where it goes. Um, and I, I won't lie, it was really hard the first 12 months of, having, of working every weekend, um, lots of hours during the week, and then having to study um, having to study whatever leftover free time that I had, accounting, corporate finance, um, and, and just basically learning the ropes of investment banking and finance. What made you make the change particularly into, into that sector? And what have you learned from that? I am very grateful for my career in investment banking, even though it was very difficult. Apart from the foundational theories and experience and understanding of how businesses work, how the world of finance works, from a personal development perspective, it gave me the confidence to continue putting myself outside of my comfort zone, to continue to be curious, to not be afraid to learn new things, um, never too old to learn new things, mm -hmm. because our, our um, professional lives are, are so are much more extended compared to previous generations that if you that I feel that if I stop learning I I, I feel like I will not be alive anymore to a certain extent to put it quite dramatically I, I enjoy the process of learning uh, even though it's quite difficult so that from a personal perspective was uh, was what I learned from from that from going to law into investment banking the joy of of doing something that's difficult and overcoming that. Mm -hmm. I think you may have answered this. There, there was a question coming up for me, and I think you may have just answered it. Um, when you talked about um, the first year of working in investment banking, it was very, very difficult and working very long hours. And, and the question that was coming up for me was, what was it that stopped you from just giving up, throwing the towel in and saying, this is not for me? Was it this learning, the continuous learning, or was there something else? I think I am someone who generally is quite determined. Um, the more someone says, well, you can't do it. And if it's something that's important to me, uh, and I was quite interested to learn finance and business, um, I put everything that I had into it. I didn't 
uh, leave anything left in the in the tech. Let's say I just went all out to learn and to to improve um, my skills, to gain the knowledge in order to succeed in in the role. So. I guess perseverance and passion, um, a grit, if you like. I mean, grit is a, you may know the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. Grit is um, passion and perseverance. And so I had the passion to learn this new subject and to have uh, to learn this new career. Uh, and I also had perseverance and that was the people around me who supported me, my family who supported me, uh, friends at work who helped me learn the subject and who also guided me. So I think those things helped me stay on track uh, stay stay on on this on the path do you think you were born with passion and perseverance and grit or is that something you develop later in life i believe that we can develop we can all develop passion for a particular subject or topic and it could change that passion can change for now i mean at this point in time for instance i no longer have the passion to learn investment banking or to work in investment banking why I did at that point in time. I believe perseverance is, uh, is something that we can learn as well. I'm generally, um, I, I generally believe that we have the capacity to grow, um, to be bigger than who we see ourselves today. And so perseverance can be developed through get, working with others, um, getting others to support you in your journey, learning, talking to other people to see how they have done it. Um, and that is how you can increase your perseverance um, and hence ultimately grit in whatever goals that you would like to achieve. I think that's great. You also mentioned before, Lynn, that you want to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, I, I think I've never really heard this before because actually at least the type of clients that I have or, or what I hear a lot is, I want to stay in my comfort zone because this feels, well, comfortable. This, this feels like I know what the game is and, and how to play it. And as soon as I get out of that, it feels very uncomfortable. Was there a moment where you, you learned how to do that, that change? Or has it always been that way? I won't say it's always been that way. I mean, I grew up, um, uh, I had a fairly traditional childhood. But when I was 19, uh, my family, my parents sent me to the UK about 6,500 miles away from home for the first time. I had to learn how to take care of myself and to be independent. So I think that was the start of my, uh, of my own journey to, to become the person I am today, to learn different things and to be curious. I think maybe the pace of change, of, of putting myself, uh, setting up different challenges uh, and, and wanting to learn that frequency is probably has increased in the in the past decade or so. Um, but yes, I think since um, since the start of my professional career, I've always been quite interested in personal growth and learning and developing. So you said, Lynn, that you're not in investment banking anymore. Is that right? No. Okay. So could you take us on the next part of your journey? <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, Helen. Um, so this goes back then into May of 2012. I was in investment banking after the last financial crisis of 2008. A lot of the tech startups at that point in time were about to become public because during the crisis, there were not uh, a lot of opportunities for these companies to go public and, and, and raise public financing. 
And in May 2012, Facebook was about to go on the road um, talking to investors and then later on they would become the largest IPO uh, at that point in time. But also at that point in time, my grandmother in Malaysia was very ill and the doctor said that she would not be able to, to survive to make it. And I wanted to go back to support my family and also to say goodbye to my grandmother. When I went to the head of the, the team, I said, look, this is a situation. It was a very small team, a very, very lean team. So it was just me on the ground, um, making sure that the deal goes ahead and then the, the head of the team. And I, and I spoke to him and he said, well, you can't go. Uh, Facebook was going to go public. Um, this, this is going to risk, be a risk on the, on the implementation, on the execution of the deal. So you just can't go. There was no discussion about it. If we didn't even talk about how we could perhaps get someone else to help um, take care of the deal if, if I were to go home. And that was it. For me, it was a, a conflict between, I was torn between the duty to my work. I was very proud of my, the work that I did. Um, and also the duty to my family. And ultimately I chose to stay in New York and to, and, and to, and to watch over the implementation of um, Facebook's IPO. My grandmother passed away. I didn't even get the chance to return home for a funeral. Facebook went public. The deal was um, we, we did our job, we got paid fees and that was, the, that was the end of that episode more or less. No one at the office asked what happened, asked me how things went, um, asked me how, how, how I was. Uh, it was just, that, that was just, that was just it. It was, all right, we made, we made a lot of money from, from, the, from this deal, which is fantastic. And let's get on with the next deal, more or less. For a long time, I felt very guilty, um, sometimes angry as well at myself of the choice and the decision I made at that point in time to not go home, to spend time with my family uh, and to say goodbye to my grandmother. And I couldn't speak about the, I couldn't speak about this episode for a long time as well because of the guilt and shame that I felt. And this led me then to start thinking about what was important to me. What did I want to invest my time in? Who do I want to spend my time with? Uh, what did I want to learn? What did I want to do? How do I want to give value to the rest of the community. And all of this ultimately led to me leaving investment banking. Um, I started to volunteer a lot more in um, the startup community, mentoring entrepreneurs, mentoring women. Um, I also started looking at how I could help young girls um, in schools to think about their careers. So I spent a lot more time in that. It was the start of my giving back, thinking of how I could give back to the community. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that, Lynn. Um, we, we discussed just before we started recording here about one of the questions. Um, do you have a vision of the person you'd like to become and to evolve into? I'm going to reverse that and ask you who you are now. What advice would you give to the young Lynn, to the Lynn in 2012, making that decision? I have done quite a bit of work since then, <laughs> I guess it's been almost 10 years now yeah. since, uh, since that episode. Um, I would tell her to focus more on her values, to know what is really important ultimately in the whole scheme of things. What is it that you can give back to the community? Is it helping to 
make sure that a deal goes well, but is that the is that the value that you can you can bring to the table, or how is it that you can use your time and your resources and 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 what and your skills in order to help somebody else's life? And it can't just be one person, but that you could change that other person's life. But executing a deal is not really changing anybody's life. Uh, and, and so I would tell uh, Lynn in 2012 to think, okay, where is it that you really want to invest your, your time and what is really important to you? Mm. I'm curious now as to if you had followed your values back then, um, then you wouldn't have had this, this guilt and the shame that you had. And then that wouldn't have developed you into the type of person that you have become helping other, you know, setting up this mm -hmm. mentorship and helping um, other people. So I wonder if you could say something ab about that. Is, is there a reason why you chose that path? Maybe because you were destined to be a mentor at the end, having gone through <laughs> that challenge yourself. I'm not sure. That's a, that's a pretty big question. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite difficult to say. Uh, perhaps everything happens, uh, every episode in our lives happens for a reason and it then impacts what the next step will be, what the next event will be, what our next move will be. So it's hard to say, well, if I had done, I had decided something else, would I still be where I am today? Would I still be doing the things I, I'm doing today? For me, I think meaningful work has always been important and that's helping someone else. That's what energizes me, that's what inspires me, um, that gets me excited to, to, to get out of bed. I, I also, um, the learning experience, no? the ability to, to create um, something new all, all the time. So in, in order to move on, I mean, it's part of our personal development to, to be in, in difficult situations or to have to make decisions that later you think, uh, I wish I should have chosen differently. I wonder if you have forgiven yourself for that choice. Because, you know, after that, then you said there was guilt uh, and, and shame involved. How do you feel about that now? Good question, Maribel. Thank you for that. Um, I, I'm not sure if uh, forgiveness sounds like a, a really, I, that's not how I would phrase it. I, I would say that I have let go of what happened um, and perhaps to a certain extent made, made peace with, with what happened and just, okay, this is, this is what happened. And now we look forward and, and see what, what comes up next and what I can take from it and what I can share with other people, uh, which is what I'm doing by, by sharing my story. And hopefully this can then either inspire someone in, in how they lead their lives or um, help them in some of the things that they're going through right now. Um, so I, I've, I guess I've just kind of let go of that. I'm not angry with myself or I don't feel guilty about myself anymore. I'm quite happy to share what happened and to help someone else by sharing that story. That's really great. So, because usually many times we have this, this inner critic voice that is very, very loud and you should have done this or that. And yes, I, I like the way you phrase it, that you made peace with that and moved forward and, and are using it in, in, in a positive way. Um, I wonder what are all the things that, that you're doing now that have come up from, from that initial uh, situation? 
so I, I guess from having left investment banking to where I am today, uh, I, I, I worked at Estee Lauder, I work at uh, Adidas, from where then I started to expand more into, okay, how can business be used as a force for good? How can we actually create a positive impact on the communities, on our employees and on the environment and develop our business and grow new markets and create new products? How can we do all of that together? So how can we create win-win situations rather than win-lose situations where it's an either or? We either create profit or we either or or we help our employees or we do something good for the community. But it's not um, both at the same time. In that period since I left investment banking, I, I, I see that it is possible to have all of this. And in fact, if you lead first with purpose, if you ground what you do in what your beliefs are, your your values, and then think about okay, what what are the what are the strategies? What is the strategy that I can develop that's related to to my values and to my core belief? Then it becomes a lot easier to see where are the activities, where is it that you want to focus your energy and time on? And so from this journey, let's call it nine years ago, I have uh, discovered that well, I'm pretty good with developing and designing programs that um, enable multiple generations. So women coaches, as well as teenage girls to come together to solve business problems. But and in these programs under the Activate Network umbrella, the companies that participate in these programs, they get real business value because they are solving a business problem. The particip participants in the program solve a business problem. Uh, number two, the women from the women participants in these programs, they come from the company and they feel more engaged with their fellow coworkers who are part of this program because you know they're, they're doing something together and they might not necessarily have that interaction outside of their day-to-day -day work. So there is that, that connection that comes from working on a, a, working on a project together that's outside, that's outside your business description. And you might not even know each other because you're sitting in different parts of the organization. So that, that's that community, that's that impact, that engagement, the women feel that they're doing me meaningful work. Because the third pillar of the programs, the students, you're impacting the students. The students, the female students typically come from underprivileged backgrounds and they are they get this opportunity to work with a company to see, oh, these are the different jobs that are available for women. Uh, and maybe I can do this in the future too. And that is community impact. Uh, the women coach the students in terms of how they set goals, how to manage um, stress, how to manage anxiety, um, how to deal with different, just general different life stresses that we all go through. So there's a triple uh, impact that comes from these programs. Uh, and I think I would not have got here, but for the different steps in my journey through understanding um, uh, business, finance, uh, maybe even uh, in, in maybe even um, in law to see, to see the different perspectives that, that come with these situations. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're helping other women to set themselves audacious goals as well, would you say? I would say so, particularly for uh, for the teenage girls. I typically work with girls um, between 13 and 16 years old. They might not be exposed to women who who work. Um, 
the, the people around them might not, the women around them might not work, their moms, their, their, their aunts um, and their neighbors. And so by exposing them to other women um, who work in technology, um, who work in the digital space, um, different types of jobs in global organizations, they then see, oh, this is something that I could do in the future as well. This is something that I can be. So now it doesn't mean that they have to go out and be an engineer tomorrow or to, to set up their own business, but it gives them that, that spark of, oh, I can do this too. I can be bigger than who I see myself today. And I think that's quite important to um, show them that nothing is, nothing is possible, everything is possible. Because if you can't see it, then you can't be it. And by showing them that, look, women do these jobs, they have children, they are wives, they, they do different things, and, and, it's, and it's all possible. You can have all, all of this too. Mm. So you, you said in, in your move from being a lawyer to an investment banker, the, the qualities within you that you were nurturing, I guess, was passion, perseverance and grit. Um, what other qualities have you learned in, in this new line of work? What have you learned since then? How would you describe yourself now? I'd say I develop patience and kindness for myself <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Uh, it, it, some patience, I think patience is a very, really big one. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes things don't go fast enough when you're trying to build your own organization. Um, and, and I'm, I'm just learning to be kinder because this is so, there's so much, there's so much to learn and there's so much to do and it's okay. As long as I'm moving in the same direction, that's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> it's all right. As long as I'm going in that, in the direction that I'm, uh, I'm heading to. Uh, yeah, that's all that matters. Okay. And I'm going to push you on this question that we asked before we started recording. Where do you see yourself? Can, can you I... see yourself or where are you pushing yourself towards? Um, so, the, I mean, this, this platform that I have um, to create impact for uh, people from diverse backgrounds uh, and, and women, I hope that in 10 years, people take this model, um, take the programs that I've created and replicate it in their own communities. I want the, I'm not precious about this idea. I'm not precious about the programs that, that I've developed, but what I want is to, to see that, that impact scale and that we have diverse voices at the table. We can hear everyone and everyone feels included and safe um, to not be judged by what they say. So that's um, what I hope will happen in the ten, in the next 10 years um, that that we we will have more equality of of access perfect i wonder if you could say something about the book that you produced <laughs> this year yeah so i mean the book um covid19 was actually a catalyst for a couple of of things one of which was, well, with, with COVID-19, it saved a lot of time in terms of commuting to meetings, commuting to the gym. There was obviously less social activities to be had. So I had a lot of time on my hands. So that was one. Uh, There's no better time than to, to write a book um, at the onset of COVID-19. But also what COVID-19 showed me was that companies, uh, public, private, nonprofit organizations, government organizations, all these different groups came together and they're all desperate and they might not necessarily have talked to each other before, but people came together to, to, to supply um, protective equipment, medical equipment, um, to come up with vaccines and to share knowledge in order to solve a global problem. And for me, I was curious as to 
how we could actually do that, how we could make that come, make that happen again for all the other problems that we have. So whether it's related to the environment, whether it's related to climate change, poverty, having access to clean water, for instance, how can we, um, what are the things that are needed in order for us to bring groups of people together um, to solve some of these global and global complex issues. So that set me on the path of the altruistic capitalist um, to write this book, to interview people who work in large companies, social entrepreneurs, nonprofits, um, investors, impact investors as well, to understand what is it, what is it that, that needs to happen in the minds of leaders? What kind of leaders do we need in order to create a positive impact on the business as well as the people and the environment in our world? When I first read the name of your book, The Altruistic Capitalist, I thought, hmm, isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> so you, you are showing that that is possible. What is the mindset that a leader needs in order to, to be that? Uh, so I'm going to pull first on the thread of the oxymoron. It was intentional to be an oxymoron. I think a lot of people... I say the majority of um, population, 60-70%, have a distrust of big businesses, big tech. There, 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 there is that 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 um, uh, skepticism as to what businesses do. It's very self-interested. Businesses are very self-interested, and so there is um, a distrust for such businesses now, and that is due to how capitalism has been, I guess put to an extreme place where it's all about short-term thinking at the moment, starting with, um, that started with Milton Friedman's article in the New York Times in 1970, where it was said that the social responsibility of business is to increase profits. And so taken to extreme is where we've got to today, where we are, where sometimes businesses are very much focused on the short-term, what is the earnings, and it's always going up and up and up. There's no there is no sustainability in that. And so I think that's what has led to some of this distress. Uh, but cap to me, capitalism is not, is not good or bad. It is just a tool, like technology is a tool. It can be used um, for good things. I believe capitalism encourages competition and innovation, and it gives the market what it needs and what it wants. And we see some corporations that use capitalism as a vehicle in which to create social innovation that help serve uh, markets that were not served before, that provide services that, um, that they might not have access to medicine, for instance. Um, and, and, this, um, and, and this really is, is changing business models, changing the traditional ways of doing things. It's all possible using capitalism. And hence altruistic, um, it is, it is uh, I guess, opposite of what people think um, capitalism is today where it's thinking about the different, the other players, the other stakeholders at, in businesses, in for-profit companies, whether it's the communities that businesses operate in, the employees, the partner suppliers that businesses work with, uh, and also the environment, of course, uh, and investors. I think it, it, we should not discount the importance of making money or profit or growth in solving some of these global problems. There needs to be financial discipline in order to solve some of these social problems. So it's all of it together rather than just, um, rather than profit at the exclusion of everyone else in the business. Now going to the second part of the question, which is what is the mindset of the altruistic capitalist? From the conversations that I had during the interviews um, as I was researching the book, uh, the three threads that, that 
that came out that I pulled from these conversations were um, firstly starting with mindfulness, um, second is curiosity, and third is, is collaboration. Uh, and really collaboration um, comes from what I said before, which, which relates to grit. You can have, uh, if you're passionate about something and you have perseverance, then, then you have grit. Uh, and perseverance for me, you can, you can build that by collaborating with others, by partnering with others. Let's say you're preparing for a marathon um, on your own. It helps if you, if you train and work out with someone else. That will help you persevere through that marathon, through the, <laughs> through the grueling preparation in the run-up to that race. But even during the marathon, imagine your, your network of supporters. That really helps you. That could really help you persevere to the finish line. So, um, I mean, I just picked on one of the three uh, mindsets. But that is that I think is what is needed in order to create a positive impact on the planet um, and, and the people. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lynn, for explaining uh, this to us. It's been a very interesting conversation that we've had with you. We're coming to the end of it now, and I'm going to ask you one more question, which is the question we always ask our guests at the end to do with the name of our podcast, which is Audaciousness. And the word audacious relates to having the audacity to do this thing that you do in the first place. And the word ness actually describes a spit of land which juts out into the sea and remains strong no matter what the weather is throwing at it. So our final question to you is, while you've been pursuing all these different goals in your life, where did you get the solid grounding to continue despite what life was throwing at you? That's a very good question, Helen. And I think for me, it's always been uh, my family and friends who support me regardless of what I do, whatever crazy adventures or different uh, experiments that I want to, to try out. Um, even this book that I published uh, during COVID, they thought, mm, well, okay, we'll go along with this. <laughs> um, this, is, this is quite different from what you, you've done before. I'd never written before. Um, but they, they've always supported me. And so their love and support for me has always helped me um, continue learning and to have the confidence to step out of my comfort zone. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that was an interesting discussion uh, with Lynn and, and listening and reading that again, Helen, uh, what are some of the key takeaways you have from this conversation? Yeah, it was an interesting discussion. We covered a lot of different areas, I thought, mm -hmm. you know, she kind of gave us a rundown of, of all the audacious things she's done in her life in kind of chronological order. But there were things that came out of it, which seemed to have a common thread to it. And one of the things that I'm going to pick out, first of all, is, is what she talked about, perseverance, passion and grit. I just love those mm. words. And, and she mentioned a book by Angela Duckworth, which I'd never heard before, um, called Grit. And yeah. she said that Angela Duckworth had said that grit is passionate perseverance. Mm -hmm. um, and I just loved that um, expression. And, and, and I asked Lynn, you know, can, is this something that you can develop or are you born with it? 
and I loved her answer that she said we can develop passion for a particular subject and that that can change in our lifetimes and 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 I would agree with that I, I certainly feel that my passions for for different things in life have changed you know as, as I've gone through my life so yeah you, you you feel passionate about one thing when you're younger you feel passionate about something else you know as you as you go through life so I definitely think um, that 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 does change and perseverance I mean she said that you can develop perseverance I'm not so sure about that I'd probably have to do a little bit more research on whether you are born with perseverance and grit or whether that's something that can be developed as well I'd like to ask you about this and your experience working with the ladies that you coach what what is your view what are your views on perseverance passion and grit Maribel as you, I, I really like that uh, that definition of of great passionate uh, perseverance. I have a feeling that perseverance, from all these things, is the one that is the trickiest to learn. And I have a feeling that people who whose personality or because of where the family or, or geographical uh, area where they grew up and socialized, if there is a reward for perseverance while you're growing up, then it's a skill that, that you learn while growing up. Mm, that's a good point. Um, and I feel that perseverance later in life if you grew up in a family or in a country where less affair and let's just see what happens is the style is more difficult to uh, to acquire that that is my personal experience what I've seen and in in myself and and in others and, you know, this, this constant of keeping an eye on, on the goal and, and not losing track of that and knowing, okay, if I don't do something today, just one little step toward that goal, the, then it, it'll be almost impossible uh, to, to achieve that. Yes, and especially countries like where I come from, Latin America, this immediate gratification uh, doing something to to be rewarded immediately is what people are are used to because there's a lot less planning uh, involved I mean and, and this is just generalizing it doesn't mean that I don't know anyone who's perseverance mm. from from that areas but just generally it's more like laid back and yeah we'll see how how things uh, develop. And definitely the results that you see are less. Mm -hmm. But it obviously works for the people who live in those circumstances, in, in that situation, because me as a Westerner, you know, when Lynn, Lynn was talking about these words, perseverance, passion, grit, you know, they were they were triggering me. They were kind of like, yeah, you know, I want to be that type of person. But it's not a given that it's good to have these values because if you are somebody who 
has perseverance and passion and grit and you live in a society in which those values are not rewarded or not recognized Mm -hmm. then you will probably have problems Indeed. I think in, in, in Europe, for example, what you see less is passion. Passion in, in what people do as, as a job. And, and I think actually many people disconnect those two. That, that what you do for a living could be something that you feel passionate about. Uh, from, from the people around me or that I, I'm in contact with, what I see a lot is passion for the free time activities and work is, hmm, well, I go to work, I, I do whatever I need to do, I come back home and then I can be passionate uh, about that. I personally cannot uh, connect with that at all because I, I, I think I'd be really miserable if I, if I had to do every day. And actually, I think these people are not really happy either. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just uh, they're they're just used uh, to that, and when you can connect that passion with a sense of meaning of of doing something that is connected with your values, then you you see purpose in life, purpose mm-hmm. in in what you're doing, and and that's something that for me is a lot more important than yeah how much money I make for example. yeah yeah and it sounded like um when speaking to Lynn that the incident which happened in 2012 where she had to choose between her duty to work and her duty to her family mm-hmm. that seemed to have quite a profound effect on her and made her realize what her values are so possibly if that incident hadn't happened she may have gone through life, you know, as one of these people that you've just described, not realize, not being, you know, maybe be passionate about something, but not being passionate about her values, not recognizing what her values are. And as a result of that, then she set up this network to help underprivileged women and girls to also mm-hmm. find their values and, and to show them what's actually available to them in a, in a society which is possibly quite patriarchal for, mm. for, for too long. Yeah, definitely. And also um, giving them, let's call them wings to, to dream of what possibilities there are apart from becoming a housewife, a mother, and just doing that. It's a pretty hard job, I have to say. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not not, not judging. Those things are not no, bad things I, to I, do in themselves. But No, but if I only did that, I'd be really miserable. Uh, it's not for everyone. No, <laughs> I totally respect people who decide to, yeah, to, to dedicate the, their life to that. It's a hell of a lot of work. Mm. Um, one thing that she mentioned that surprised me because I have to say I think she's the first person who has articulated it so clearly I have met people who are like that I'm thinking about you for example but she articulated in this way she said I am someone who is not comfortable being comfortable which means this is how I understand it being who wants to keep learning, who who likes those challenges, who, who likes not knowing everything 
and 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 trying new things out that idea of of learning is something that obviously uh gives her energy it, it incites her her passions but i had never heard anyone saying i don't like being comfortable i want mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable and that is something really important because that is the space where great things happen where where we can learn things and actually there's nothing really to be afraid of because it, it can it can't really be great if we look at it what if i learn all these new things but it's connected i feel it's connected with curiosity i think that is because because that's what i have seen in my work that after when she was saying it, I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. After a couple of years, I feel like I've learned about this topic. Uh, and then hmm, I want to do something. I mean, not necessarily change everything, but but add a new layer, learn, mm -hmm. learn something, something new, because otherwise, at least for me, it gets boring. Exactly. That's the word that was coming up with me. Bo comfortable is boring to me and so it's always you know going out and looking for the the new challenge the new growth I think growth is, is also a word that's coming up for me and who was it I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt had this quote do something every day that frightens you mm. because that is where learning occurs you know you do something you're out of your comfort zone and boy do you learn quickly you know, you don't learn if you're just within your comfort zone, because I think that's been proven as well. That's where the most learning occurs when you put in situations where a shift occurs within you, like the shift that occurred within Lynn in 2012 when she had to make that decision. Mm -hmm. In one of my LinkedIn posts, someone uh, commented in of about one of my um presentations and I was talking about getting out of your comfort zone and she mentioned in her comment that she had read from somebody else instead of calling it the comfort zone to call it the zone of missing out missing out because mm. if you say there you're missing out of everything anything interesting challenging change learning growth I thought that's really cool the missing out zone it's a lovely way of rephrasing it because comfort is like it's one of those words just like, yeah, I want to be comfortable, you know, but it's kind of you don't like want attractive, to be, comfort, yeah, com cozy. exactly. But you don't want to be missing out. Oh, I'm in the zone of missing out. What am I yeah. missing out on? Yeah, that's a nice way of rephrasing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I want to talk about one more thing that um, that Lynn mentioned, and that's the whole thing about her book um, about capitalism. Um. I really enjoyed listening to what she was saying about that because I hadn't really thought about capitalism in that way. I, I, I admit that I I'm one of the majority of people who is mistrustful, as Lynn mm -hmm. mentioned, of these tech companies and the big corporations. Yes. But what Lynn was saying about capitalism in itself is neither a good or a bad thing. It's just it's how it's played out in practice um, that matters. And do you remember, it, it brought back to me when we were speaking to Amarinato, the former Buddhist mm -hmm. monk, that was back in episode nine. And I asked him, how did we get into this mess and how do we get out of it? 
And his reply, again, was a breakthrough for me. He said, well, it's not a mess. You know, that's your judgment of it. It, it just is. And I've been learning and researching a little bit about polarities later, something called polarity. So if you say something is good, for example, then you're automatically saying that something else is bad. Mm -hmm. Or if you say something's beautiful, then you're admitting that other things might be ugly. But good and bad, beauty and ugliness, you know, these, these polarities, they are just our interpretations or our judgments of something. They don't actually exist in nature. In nature, things just are. You know, nature doesn't mm -hmm. say this is good and this is bad or, or this is beautiful and this is ugly. So capitalism now, I've started realizing, is, is the same. It exists. You know, other systems of governance like communism, socialism, dictatorship or whatever, they exist too. And something... I had an interesting breakthrough quite recently. I'm going to tell a little story here. So, as you know, I live in quite a remote remote location here in the Outer Hebrides. And last week, I took a boat trip to an even remoter place. And it's an island con called St Kilda, which is 40 miles west of here. And people lived on St Kilda for thousands of years and they organized themselves in whatever society worked for them at the time. And in most of the last centuries, that system was called feudalism, which is known as clans or clanship in Scotland. And that's where you've got a landlord who owns the land, owns the island, and you farm it and you pay him rent in kind in, in whatever you farm. And it's a very social system because the people look out for each other. And in times of hardship, the clan chief or the landlord looks out for the people because obviously he doesn't want the people to perish because he wants whatever they produce from mm -hmm. the land so that he can sell it on. Mm -hmm. And this system worked for centuries and there are pros and cons to it. And, and one of the cons that I picked up on was that this method of governance stifled creativity and innovation. People did things because they'd always been done that way and there was no reason to make the effort to change it. So the example that was given in the book I read about the islands was that one man wanted to make improvements to his house and the rest of the community told him he was stupid for wanting to do that because what was the point? What's the point in investing in that when the system has always worked this way? And I think this is what Lynn was explaining about capitalism and I'm going to quote her here because I think what she said here had the most impact on me. So she said, I believe capitalism encourages competition and innovation mm -hmm. and it gives the market what it needs and what it wants. And we see some corporations that use capitalism as a vehicle in which to create social innovation that helps serve markets that were not served before. And this is really changing business models, changing the traditional ways of doing things. It's all possible using capitalism. And that, I think, probably had the most profound effect on me because I was, you know, like I mentioned, I was very critical of large corporations who just use capital in order to make money. I still am critical because I know there are large, large corporations that do do that. But I just want to mention one more thing about this is that we have, in fact, on this podcast, interviewed an altruistic capitalist. And that was Mark Matamisa in episode 14. Um, and if you want to go back and listen to that, he set up a business bringing safe drinking water to people in Zimbabwe because the government systems weren't doing that. So 
if you'd like to hear about altruistic capitalism working in practice, then you can either buy Lynn's book or listen to our episode 14 mm-hmm. or both. Indeed, definitely. Um, from that perspective or, or listening just to the name of the book and listening to, to her explanation, it just reframed for me the way I saw capitalism. Because the thing is that the examples that we see the most are egoistic capitalism, where few people have their pockets full of money and use loads of employees to make money for them, which is what a business is based on, a workforce that creates money for a few. But when she said capitalism is just a tool like IT, I think that was for me my my breakthrough in seeing it as something like you said that just is it doesn't have to be egoistic it doesn't have to be to it doesn't have to promote poverty for most and uh horrendous richness uh for for others a ridiculous uh amounts of money for for just a few it can be used like Mark and, and his colleagues did. It can be used for something good. And maybe we can even add, it doesn't even have to be capitalism. It could also be socialism. It could be, yeah, a- any kind of uh, institution. The thing is that I do agree that what capitalism promotes is innovation because it's about competition. So you want to be this competition thing is in humans uh, uh, innate. And I guess that's why it's so spread around the world can be good. Mm. So one thing that I would like to say, and it kind of like sums up the the whole um, interpretation, my interpretation of our conversation with Lynn is, and I'd like to quote her here, is what she says. She mentions the joy of doing something that's difficult and overcoming that. I think that is great because that is what audacity is to to set yourself a goal. No, it will be challenging and maybe you're a little bit scared and and you still do it. And after that, there's this personal reward and that is that sense of joy of having accomplished something and if that something is connected with your values and has in some kind uh, in some way a positive impact in the world then that's even better that's a lovely definition of audaciousness yes isn't it <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to this episode of our podcast, Audaciousness. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. A huge thanks to Lynn for sharing her passionate and gritty journey and letting us know what she's discovered about life along the way. And good luck with your book, Lynn. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like. And if you think someone else would benefit from listening to these type of conversations, share it, pass it on with your friends, family, colleagues. And if you know of any other audacious people, including yourself, that we should talk to, get in touch with us. We'd love to speak with you or them. Yeah, and just before we go, I'd like to mention a little bit of feedback that we got on our previous episode that we had with Mariam last week. This is from Peter. Peter's saying, if you haven't engaged with Mariam's episode, please do. This one in particular is a thing of beauty and wonder. Thank you, Peter. And Peter goes on to say, congratulations to Helen and Maribel at Audaciousness a great addition to the global conversation on what it means to be here. Lovely feedback. Thank you so much. We'll be back in two weeks with another audacious person and another audacious episode. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.